0: self-care with Dr. Sarah. I'm Sarah B. And we so much enjoyed the interview that we did with Nicole Cabrera last time that we just had to ask Nicole more questions. (laughs) Um, So we're back for part two of our interview series with Nicole. And uh, one of the topics we wanted to start with was the fact that Nicole did a TEDx talk. (laughs) This This was a huge deal. And it kind of came up after we stopped recording in the last
1: episode. So please, Nicole, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, it kind of happened, uh, in a very weird way. I, um, I had just landed in France because I was going to do, um, a collaboration that I'm working on for my thesis. And I got an email saying, Hey, somebody nominated you to do this TEDx Georgia state. Um, would you be interested? And, um, we, it's only, you have three weeks to prepare and um you're the last person to fill this slot but we had you know we had trouble finding female grad students and we really want or female students and we really wanted to include someone like that and they thought that i would um I was like, who nominated me, first of all? <laughs> like, was it was it my advisor? I don't know. And then um, it turned out that it was my career counselor. Wow. Yes, whom I, I have been seeing since last year when I decided I don't want to go into research. And then I didn't know, like, if I could get a job, you know, outside of academia. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, you can. And it's much more lucrative. <laughs> and uh, and it's great. So um, anyway, I've been working with her. And, and she's such a huge... Fan of, of my work, which is weird. So she's like, she's oh, super. Oh, you have a fan. <laughs> she's just a super fan? supportive. She's been like an angel. Um, and and so she, uh, so she's been sort of helping me transition from out of academia and into like the real world. And mm-hmm. um trying to help me find opportunities of like where I can go to do public outreach, which is what I want to do and and, and equity work specifically. Mm -hmm. And so she, she had nominated me for this thing, um, unbeknownst to me. And then, uh, they, you know, I called them right away and I was like, yes, I want to do this. (laughs) How does it work? And, and they said, well, you know, you're an astronomy student. Do you want to talk about your, your research? And I said, uh, no, I actually want to talk about something that is really important to me, which is, um, diversity issues in STEM and how women are still underrepresented and minorities are still underrepresented. And I, I want to talk about that. And they said, wow, yeah, sure, you know, um, go ahead and work on a draft and then we're going to call you in a week and um, you can tell us what sort of the outline of your talk is going to be so that we can guide you. And they were going to give me a time limit and everything um, that I could work with. And so I said, OK, and um, I started working on it. And then I, like, panicked. I sort of panicked because I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I only just, like, I had just started learning about these things. Like I said before, I had read a lot about women's issues, but not a lot about uh, minority issues in STEM. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't even know where to start. So, I mean, I Googled some things and I, I read... um the actual reports, So I, a lot of what I've read are popular articles that talk about the sources. And this time I was reading the sociological reports that have been done on women yeah. and minorities in science. And then I reached out to my mentor, um, Carolyn Brinkworth, who was amazing. She, I told her like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you please help me? because you know so much more about this. And I even told her like, I shouldn't even be giving this talk. Like you should be giving this uh, talk. Uh, yeah. Imposter thoughts, <laughs> Imposter thoughts, yes. <laughs> and so, and she was like, okay, calm down. This is not, She's like, this is not the biggest talk you're ever going to give in your life. And it's okay. Like, you know, you're going to be fine. So don't worry. Um, and don't make too much of it or it's gonna, you know, it's going to shut you down. So, Mm -hmm. um, she was like, here are these resources and you should, um, you should look through these. And then if you need any help, like call me. And I was calling her every week. Like we were like maybe even twice a week. Um, and I was like, I was in France, so there was like this huge time difference and I was trying to figure out, um, you know, what to do. And I put it together and she really mentored me through the whole thing. And then I uh, I finally gave it and it's out now. It was like, it took them a couple of months to, to yeah, get it. Yeah, we're
0: going to link, we'll link to it. Yes.
1: <laughs> so I really, I, I basically talked about how, okay, so why it's important to have diversity in STEM or to, for STEM to be more inclusive of underrepresented groups and why that's still not the case and how uh, people believe that, you know, academia is sort of this meritocracy. And like, maybe the reason that we don't have representation is because those people just aren't as good and, and all that stuff. And I, so I talk Mm -hmm. about all those different points and how I, myself, um, you know, at this intersection of being a woman and a minority in science and how that has been for me personally. So it's, I think it it came out to something like 12 minutes or something like that. And it was the first time, like I didn't have slides. They, they recommended that I didn't uh, put together slides because it's, more difficult in the editing process and Mm. it would just take longer. And sometimes there's technical difficulties and it's like, I was like, no, I don't want to deal with that. So I had to memorize the speech basically. And it was like 13 minutes. Um, and it just, (laughs) it was a lot. And it was a lot of work and I was very stressed out because of course during the day, Um, I was in my French lab and I was having to work on my project that I was, I was only there for a month and I really had to finish my project. And so during the day I would go to the lab and work on that. And then in the evenings and on the weekends, I would work nonstop on this talk and researching it and reading. Yeah. And so I was really exhausted and, uh, kind of freaking out, but in the end it, it, it worked out well. And it was so, so, so worth the effort because it was really like, even though it was a lot of work, it was work that I wanted to do. So it's kind of like doing a hobby. Yeah. Uh, and it was a lot, it, it did feel like a lot of pressure, but I think, I think it went well. And even like, I watched it afterward and I, of course I was like weird laugh right there. Awkward smile. Like I, you know, I was like, of course, of course, I'm swaying, yeah. I'm swaying too much. I'm moving my hands too much. But, uh, <laughs> uh, of course so that's what I thought like the whole time. But, um, but I think I know now this is my first like recorded talk and I know now like, okay, for next time it's going to be. I'm going to do these things. And it was a really huge learning experience for me.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, That's amazing. The talk is wonderful. So if you get the chance, please go watch it and see Nicole in all of her awesome glory (laughs) Uh, talking. One thing that we wanted to talk about but didn't get the chance last time is that self-care and equity work are actually really intertwined for you.
1: Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um... I know that like imposter thoughts, um, a lot of times when we talk about self-care, it has to do with uh, your work as a scientist. And I know that um, for me, especially, that has definitely been the case. But recently, a lot of this has been around my equity work. And I do, um, I am really sort of, Coming into this new knowledge of what it means to care that there are groups of people out there who do not have the same advantages as everybody else. And I myself am part of that marginalized group in, in several ways, but I'm but I also have different axes of privilege. So I'm sort of coming into this new knowledge. And actually, um, it's been really hard for me. And I think I talked about that, you know, mm-hmm. how I, I came back from this conference and I was just I was so shaken up and it's funny cause I was talking to my therapist about this, like, Oh my God, I just feel like my identity has been like turned upside down and I don't know. And she said, she called this, um, a second adolescence. And I've never heard this term before. I've <gasps> never heard of it, about this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yes, I'm
1: familiar with this too. Please go on. Okay. Uh, so I had never heard <laughs> about it, but so she was trying to explain it to me. And she said that, um, it's something that, for example, um, a lot of people who come out as gay um, experience like how in your first adolescence or everybody goes through an adolescence and it's kind of like the time where you're trying to figure out who you are and what group you fit into and um, what does that mean for you and what's important for you and you know, what are you going to mm-hmm. do? It's kind of like this very important time when you're deciding where you fit in in society and like what your role is in like the greater whole. And so she said, a second adolescence, it it happens to activists. It happens to people who are coming out. I'm sure it happens in a lot of different situations where you just sort of make this huge realization in your life and, and you have to come to terms with it. And it is, and she said, do you remember being an adolescent? I mean, do you remember how lonely it felt? And how, and I was like, yes, I was so emo. And so, (laughs) yeah, uh, so emotional and like, you know, I thought about a lot of things and I just felt very, you know, I had a lot of friends, but a lot of times it, it does feel lonely. And, and and that is, it's important to realize that and recognize that it's not just me um, not being able to deal with this stuff. It's actually me going through a very common phenomenon and that is, you know, well-documented and studied and stuff. So yeah, that's how I understand it uh, as per my conversation <laughs> this morning.
0: Yeah. The activist and writer Janet Mock said that being exceptional isn't revolutionary it's lonely mm-hmm. there is something that's really unspoken i think about a lot of um justice work which is that it's not only fatiguing like fatigue is something right? right and it certainly is fatiguing and there is such a thing as what they call activist burnout but it manifests so differently and one of those ways is with loneliness yeah I sometimes experience, um, depending on what it is that's stressing me out, I feel like I call it the trash kind of at the bottom. (laughs) So if I'm exhausting myself really doing anything, if it's related to work, but also related to other things, then I feel like I'm more susceptible to all of this stuff that kind of is at the bottom of this hill or something. So that if I can't get above it, then I just, it's like an onslaught of all of this trash. Mm -hmm. So down there is a bunch of gendered stuff too. So if I'm really tiring myself out with astronomy or with other things, a bunch of other like self-image stuff will come up. Yes. Um, so, and it, it doesn't seem like it should be related, but this is a very, it's just like a very gendered response to exhaustion and burnout where stuff will come up about my self image I'll be really mean to myself about that and critical like hyper critical yeah. and I'll be mean to myself about like my relationship status like this so this voice this critical voice it's not like it came out of nowhere I can very clearly identify that this is kind of like cultural lines of criticism mm-hmm. that I could level against myself, but it's when I'm particularly susceptible because of being tired that all of this trash comes out yeah, so it's like um anyway, so that's it seems very counterintuitive, but often that's how I recognize that I'm tired is that I um, am being harsher to myself about my appearance or, or whatever or harsher to myself yes. about my per, like things in my personal life it seems like it should be totally distinct but it's not these things really bleed together yeah and which is why kind of I find that self-care paradoxically in that situation makes me feel better so if i go and do something like buy myself some new fancy thing for <laughs> my skin <laughs> or something i'll i'll feel more motivated With other things, too, I'll feel refreshed and then I can kind of enter the fray again with a renewed feeling of hope. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my
1: God. And that and that totally reminds me of like where I was last night. And of course, I'm still working on getting to the point where I can practice self-care automatically, where I'm just telling myself, okay, this is what this is and you have to recognize it and and take Mm -hmm. care of it yesterday I had like a lot of really great news all day and it was just such a great day and I I was really feeling on top of the world and you know when my boyfriend came to pick me up from work I was like really chatty and really myself and I felt really great and then when I got home I got I made the mistake of going on Facebook and getting into this um, argument about about feminism I think essentially just um, without giving away any details and um, it really bogged me down it really like it was so sad because I had so many things going on that day and I was like so happy. And then it just brought me back down into that hole. And, um, because it's not like, I try to explain to people that like equity, it's not just something that I care about or like I feel passionately about this issue. It's not that it's that I have to live this every day. And when I, um, when I make myself vulnerable so that I can educate people and speak out against things that are going on that are unjust, Mm -hmm. um, it's not because I think it's interesting or fascinating. Yeah, it is my life, and this is my right. Like my friend put it the other day, it's it's not about what I, uh, it's it's not about something interesting. It's about my right to survive, and yeah. and you know that's what I'm putting forward in those moments. And of course, you know I, I got really bogged down. I got back down into like that hole. Unfortunately, I finally was like, I just I need to get off Facebook right now. I need to stop looking at these harmful. Ideas. I just have to, yeah. you know, step away. And I was like, you know, when I get sick, when I'm like, when I have the flu or something, you kind of know, like, I know from years of getting the flu, right, that mm-hmm. I know I need to drink water, and I need to sleep, and I need to um, take the day off work, and I need to eat well. Because that's what's going to make me feel better. But ironically, when I'm sick, those are the last things I want to do. It's like you're in this place where like, oh, I know I need to drink water, but like it doesn't taste refreshing. It tastes like a chore. Like I I have to do this and it's horrible and I just don't, I just want to lie here. And, and you know, and and it's kind of the same thing with self-care where like when you're in that hole, like you know that you should step away from that situation. You know that you should connect with people that you love. You know that you should do something fun that you love to do that'll make you forget about it. But that's the last thing that you want to do. It's like you have to fight through that fog and like force yourself to do that self-care. So eventually that's what I did. I was like, okay, I haven't called my mom in a while. Let me FaceTime with her. And I was worried that like that conversation wouldn't go well. Cause I was in a bad mood, but, um, mm-hmm. but it ended up being really fun. And like, um, my mom is hilarious. She's kind of like, um, Gloria from modern family. She's got like a really thick Spanish accent. And we always like, Um, my brothers and I will always like make fun of her or like, you know, we'll poke fun at each other, like as a family. And it's, it was, it just made me feel so much better. And just, I was in a, in a little bit of a better mood after I got off the phone with her. And then my boyfriend and I were eating dinner and I was telling him about this Ted talk that I saw a few years ago about this. She's a game developer and she developed this game called super better. To pull herself out of a depression after she had a, a concussion and, and um, some medical issues after that, mm-hmm. and this game about making your uh, pulling yourself out of this depression or making yourself feel better, it has to do with four different factors. One of them is emotional. There's a social component, a mental component, and a physical component. So she said, "Okay, if you just do one of these things in each category every day, you'll eventually like come out of this spunk. And so, um, she made like the audience like sort of like hold their arms up. Um, and, and and pump their fists for like five seconds or something. And then she made them look up, up, at pictures of baby animals. And yeah. Oh. so there's the, the emotional component, the physical component. And then it was like, okay, now um, send a text message to a friend that you really care about. And then what was the other mental one? It was like count backwards from 100 in multiples of seven or snap 50 times Mm -hmm. or something and Mm -hmm. so it's like a mental resilience Mm -hmm. and so she was talking about how this adds years like scientifically it adds years to your life um if you have all of these components resilience and all these things and so i was like yeah you know what like i'm gonna call my best friend and ask her and tell her about my awesome day and i'm gonna uh, you know i ended up leaving her like a five minute voicemail about (laughs) this (laughs) and i like i uh, my boyfriend i I was like you know it's friday like let's do something what do you want to do and so um we ended up watching this like Buddy cop movie, The Heat, which is really funny. It actually is you think it's gonna be stupid, but it, and it is, but it's so hilarious. Melissa McCarthy is just amazing and just the act of like sharing that together and laughing. And I'd already seen it and I knew it was funny, but he had it. And so like mm. sharing that with him and just like laughing at those things, and now we have these inside jokes together. It made it pulled me so far out of that hole that afterward I was able to finally be like, Okay, I can look at this you know, argument that I was having on Facebook. And it's not going to affect me so much because now I have an armor of self-care. And so I wanted to say, like, it really does work. It works, but you have to force yourself to do it. You have to really tell yourself somehow in that moment when you're not, when you don't feel like doing any of these things and when the last thing you want to do is to, like, reach out to people, that's what you have to do. And then, and it really does make you feel better.
0: It does feel like I was thinking about language while you were saying that similar to what we used yesterday, which I remember that you were, it's hard to remember that you ever felt differently, or it's hard to believe that you will feel better, that you won't always feel this way. And that can really sap your desire to move even, you know, if you're, if you're kind of overcome, I mean, it is unfortunate and sort of, I guess, a double-edged sword in the sense that exhaustion and depression are accompanied by a feeling of stasis. You're never going to be able to feel differently and so on, which makes it doubly hard to get yourself out of there. And with really small Baby steps. <laughs> I find too, it is the best way to get out of it is with, um I mean, not with depression, I suppose, which is its own like very complicated animal. But in a funk, I will have to do really small things, which I, I know at the time in my heart, I'm like, this is not going to make a difference. But I remember in the past you know, you did feel better when you did such and such. Like, I'm just going to do it anyway. It's not going to work this time, but (laughs) I'm just going to do it anyway. And I I kind of make myself and then I will feel better. It almost, I feel like there's like a childlike component to it where I'm almost, no, I'm never going to feel better, you know, and I have to kind of be made to do it. (laughs) In order to feel incrementally um, less sad, Yeah, less kind of bogged down. And I love that structured self care that that she articulates in super better.
1: Yeah. And it's so funny that you bring up like you have a child that's saying like, no, I was having this exact conversation with my therapist last week because I was like, Um, I was telling her, you know, I'm not going into research after Mm -hmm. I graduate with my PhD, so there's no more breast ring at the end. Like, you know, if I I knew Mm -hmm. that I had to get a postdoc afterward and I had to publish this many papers in order to do that, like, I would be like, okay, I have small goals. I have something to look forward to after that, and I have something, Mm -hmm. a reason to finish my PhD, Mm -hmm. right? Instead, I'm going into public outreach, equity work, that sort of thing. And so it doesn't really – it's not something that I need a PhD for, but I have been told by several people, like, you should do it because people will just listen to you more. And even though that's, like, a bad reason, like, just having the doctor in front of your name, like, Ugh. it will yes. open a lot of doors. And unfortunately, yeah. like, that's the case. And so – and I'm so it's, – it's just a year away. So I – It's hard for me to find motivation to write my dissertation knowing, like, and and also having that history behind it. Like, this was a really, like, I had a lot of shitty experiences, like, trying to do my science that have, like, chipped away at my desire to do science, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like sitting down and having to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, I just don't feel motivated. So maybe I have to do something to, like, make myself feel motivated so that I can do this. And Mm -hmm. I was telling my therapist that, and she's like, that's not the way that it works. (laughs) And she's (laughs) like she's like, she's like, motivation is not a feeling. It's a decision. And she said, you know, right now you have an, a child inside of you who's saying, I don't want to, I don't want to yeah. do this dissertation. Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. want to sit down and write. I don't want to like finish this work. And part of that has to do with the fact that it is so far away. And like, I'm not feeling enough stress to actually get there. But yeah. she said, you know, You have to, <laughs> you have to decide at some point, you know, tell your inner child, like, you know, I know this is boring and we hate this. And yeah. like, I, we don't want to do this. And like, I totally understand. But later, like we're going to do this right now. And later on, we're going to do something fun to make up for this boring thing that we have to do right now. Yeah, <laughs> And so you have, you have to kind of like treat yourself afterwards. Like, we're going to go get ice cream after, after yes. this long day so that we can like reward ourselves. And it's kind of weird because like now now I'm two people instead of just one. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But it does feel like something that. Me in my inner child. But she said like, you, ha- it's a decision that you have to make every day. Even if you just work for two hours, even if you just go to work, make the decision to work on your dissertation for two hours and then decide you're gonna to go to, to the pool for the rest of the day. At least two hours is better than going to your office all day and getting distracted and not doing anything at all. And so yeah, um, I was like, okay, like <laughs> I so now I have to talk to my inner and be like, no, you have to do this. <laughs>
0: that feeling. I have a friend right now who is writing her dissertation. She was like at the very end of it. She would text me every now and again, like, I just can't get motivated. You know, I can't get motivated. It's too big. And I would say that's when you break the tasks up into smaller pieces and the rewards get proportionally bigger like this is what (laughs) this is what i did at the end of my dissertation too like i come to a point where i'm like i don't care if i'm going to the pool later i'm not doing it you know like i can't and and so then i'll have to be like 15 minutes you put in 15 minutes and then you're going to get this really nice thing and so i would Kind of fractionally reward myself more for smaller pieces of work um, because once it almost feels like um, approaching the speed of light, where like the closer you get, the harder it is to get closer um, until it requires infinite energy yeah. <laughs> to make a tiny fraction of, of incremental progress. Uh, yes.
1: Oh my god! And I love the analogies. Looks like
0: you. Uh, Then you're going to love this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) We love a nerdy analogy. Um, Oh, wow. Okay. So this was an amazing second half to this interview. Do you have anything else you want to say, Nicole, before we sign off?
1: Not that I can think of. I think um, we've covered a lot of things. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I know. We're so we're so grateful. And I personally am so grateful that you shared your time with us and shared your thoughts uh, about self-care and your own journey. I just I wish you all the best. Thank you. So this has been self-care with Dr. Sarah. Thank you for listening.